cleared only as far as Di Marco. He's done it again at the Castellani. Inter struggled in the first half, but it's one of their own who has picked out the top corner. Hello and welcome back to Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 93 and we're your hosts Matt and Jake. But guys, guys, it's Monday. How come you guys are already recording an episode? As you know, or maybe you don't know, and this is the first time you're hearing this, but there are midweek games that are taking place from tomorrow all the way up until Thursday. So that requires, naturally, quick reflexes from me and Jake, considering that then the week the midweek matches and the next weekend matches are so close together we had to put this episode together still not convinced on how we're gonna tackle the next episode but we'll make sure it's nice easy and entertaining for all of you improvise adapt overcome yes those are three company values between me and jake what a weekend, huh? What a weekend. And I liked this one particularly because there weren't any of the kind of big dogs against each other. So it um, really, it was kind of a test for each of the seven sisters to see what they're, what they're made of. Yeah, I think most of the matches that take place over the course of the 38 match season, you don't always face the top seven. You don't always face the top 10. Sometimes you need to see how you fare against the scraps because it so often is the case where the best team is the one that's capable of beating the ones that are lesser than them, that are significantly lesser than them, beating the teams in the bottom three, beating the teams in the bottom 10. So now we really start getting to see the character of these teams over a longer stretch of time. We're no longer judging them over one big game, but now we're starting to see an accumulation of matches. Yes, sir. I made 140 euros this week. You did? This weekend. You did. Would you so, tell them how you could paint the entire scenario? I think it was quite an entertaining thing. Yes, I woke up hazy on a Saturday morning and I opened Bet365 on my phone to take a look at, uh, at the menu. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to make a slip. You know, I'm always trying to win these cheap bets, you know, over five shots, win or draw, you know. Like cheap well, bets for a cheap Both guy. teams to get a yellow, you know, I try to get those bets. Um, but I opted for something a bit more creative this time so I put a bet that um, Bologna Napoli would draw that um, who else was there that Fiorentina would beat Udinese away from home that Atalanta would beat Cagliari and that Roma and Torino would draw and I put five euro and I saw that I could win 180 as a return I was like fuck it let's do it let's see worst case I'll cash out halfway through yeah everything was going flawlessly and then we got to the last game Roma Torino where I could have withdrawn for what was it bro before the the game game even started you could have cashed out for around 45 as the game was progressing that kept going up it went up to the 50s then it went up to the 60s and I kept holding and the girls kept saying hold 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 and you kept saying hold and I'm like okay I'll hold and then Lukaku scored and I had a bloody heart attack it wasn't a heart attack that he had it was a meltdown it was like I'm so stupid a seven year old kid that yeah. isn't getting mackies because it's because always Lukaku that ruins something for me um, <laughs> Romagnoli a perfect centre back he was a perfect centre back Romagnoli <laughs> he was fine right? number 13 he was a lot good the next Nesta yeah one game against Lukaku and he's playing alongside a guy called Chazal I mean, <laughs> no I'm obviously kidding they're very good they form a formidable duo um, yes um, basically and then Zapata scored um, I cashed out immediately because I saw it was five minutes to go 140 uh, no it was the Euro. there was a 
a VAR check that was taking uh-huh, place. Yes. And I'm like, I'm like, Jake, VAR! You're like, okay, she got, okay, she got, okay, she got. I couldn't deal with it anymore, but yeah. And that was that, bro. How did you do? Did you win on the Serie A Spotlight Fanta, by the way? Um, I came draw on the Serie A Spotlight yeah, Fanta against the girls. Um, I <laughs> should have won, but Victor Osimhen missed a penalty and got me a two. Um, so quite unlucky over there, but I was a bit lucky that I got Pasalic's mm-hmm. goal because Orsolini didn't play and Pasalic was my first sub. Although that takes some skill to choose your first sub as well, so I'll give myself a little pat on the back. Mm-hmm. But I'll take a draw against the girls. They, they've got they've got quite a team, man. I'm surprised they're just on one point, and I now yeah. find myself on on four points. How did you do? You're lucky, Vlaovic dropped the stinker. Yeah. Um, how did I do? I did terribly. I had Chesney and goal who got me a zero. Uh huh. <laughs> and I had Martin at the back from Genoa who got me a two point five. Therefore, I lost one. Ah, you got no. Oh my god! I hate when when some motherfucker only scores one and they get away yeah. with a win, man. Um, the Bianconeri Bruisers are currently first with six points. So shout out to them. Shout out to our boy Luca Nicolo Argento. Shout yes. Out. Yes. Shout out, brother. Shout out. But anyway, enough faffing about. Yes. What was our goal of the week? We heard it from the intro. Our goal of the week was Di Marco. He um, scored an incredible goal. Empoli, of course, failed to clear a corner effectively. And Di Marco was lurking on the edge of the area mm. where he likes to lurk. And he curled in a rocket with the outside of his sweet, sweet left foot. Yes. Some call that a Trivella shot. Um, but I, I don't know if it, it qualifies on if a Trivella takes some additional kind of... I'm not sure. But 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 just call it the Quaresma. Exactly. Literally the the Quaresma shouldn't even be called that Trivela. Um but yeah, that was our goal of the week. I think there were um a a few good nominations, nothing like last week, but but there was Bonaventura scored a great goal. Um, if you watched Man City against Inter and you saw Rodri's goal in the final, Bonaventura's goal was very similar to that. Dare I say a little bit better from Further out, yeah. a bit more of a curl on it, and um, wasn't quite a Champions League final goal, but it sealed the victory for Fiorentina over Udinese. Lecce's Udon had quite a good goal. Yes. Had it not been for the deflection, it could have been up there, man. But it took a slight deflection, which was yeah. enough to ruin it for us. And he still makes the cover of the episode, FYI. Yeah, um, There was another goal I wanted to point out, and that was... Um, Jake is the king of making Quarta, Quarta, Quarta Oh yeah I love the way He started running from the halfway line Right He he, There was a long ball played over the top for him Now remember this guy is a centre back He takes the ball down And finishes so calmly He passes it Like guides it into the bottom corner Very well Amazing I know the I know the defending of Udinese Was shambolic in that goal But take nothing away from The centre back Who found himself in a goal scoring opportunity And he took it And it wasn't an easy chance at all Man you see um, Some player Some striker score a goal like that And you Take your hat off To them And this time it was Martinez Quarta Who's having quite a season Man now that he's back Now that Serious spotlight have summoned him. Um, don't forget to follow us, guys. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. We are absolutely everywhere posting content pretty much every, every other day um, about our Fanta culture, about funny moments, about statistics, so on and so forth. So make sure you're up to date on all the happenings of Serie A through our content. And also drop us a rating wherever you're listening, be it Spotify, Google, Apple, no matter what, we're on 4.9 and we want to get that number up to a 5. So with your help, we can do that. We've also got Patreon, guys. You can 
join this crazy journey of Jake and I and support our content for $3.99 a month. We're looking into doing a bunch of cool shit, currently setting up our studio using two microphones thanks to you beautiful people um, that support us on a monthly basis and we're able to afford things like this thanks to you. So if you want to be part of that, feel free to join and thank you. Yes, thank you purely for becoming a patron as well. So I think before we get into each episode, I don't know why I always bring it up like, should we do this? Because we literally do it every episode. Just going to run down um, the happenings of this match day. So we're going to start things off by discussing Sassuolo's shock win against Juventus in the Mape Stadium with the score of 4-2. A shit show by Juventus defensively um, and a masterclass by Berardi up front for Sassuolo. It was Empoli nil Inter 1 in Andrea Zoli's fucking fifth debut for <laughs> his, fourth, his, fourth. his fourth debut for Empoli. They actually looked a little bit better than they did they in did. the past. You can't judge them over one game against a big team because the players are naturally going to be motivated. Um, but we did see some of the movement that Andrea Zoli likes to promote over there. Bologna nil, Napoli nil, Victor Ossiman missing a penalty, getting me the the draw on Fanta would have been a victory. Torino won, Roma won, a late Duvan Zapata goal, um, cancelling out Lukaku's earlier strike over there and winning Jake 120 euro. Hey, uh, hey, hey, why are we diminishing it? 130, 140, what was it? 130, I think. Well, you don't even know, brother. <laughs> Yesterday was a blur, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what happened the last we'll night. We've been drinking, so we've been smoking, <laughs> we've been drinking, we've been smoking. No, it's it's because of the emotions, bro. And the, and, yeah. the and the drinking, and the smoking, and the drinking. 130, 130. Sorry for that 10 euro. If we get two patrons, we can make up for it. <laughs> Um, Milan won Verona nil Leao getting the early goal for Milan who hung on pretty well in this new 3-4-3 formation new again um, Lazio won Monza won Lazio again just failing to get victories unless it's against Napoli they do face Milan this weekend so probably that will be three points for them considering how they're operating um, Udinese nil Fiorentina two great goal by Quarta great goal by Bonaventura who scored and assisted in this game Atalanta 2 Cagliari nil no scamacca no problem clean victory for Atalanta over there Lecce 1 Genoa 0 an early red card for Genoa meant that they spent the entire game defending whilst Lecce were spending the entire game trying to grab a goal and they grabbed one towards the end thanks to Udon Salernitana 1 Frosinone 1 Frosinone still looking ridiculously good um, in Serie A so yeah. pleasantly surprised by this team they did give up um, a 1-0 lead in this game uh, in front of Salernitana's fans so it's, it's a very intimidating environment you don't blame them for giving up yeah. a lead away to Salernitana yeah, and that Cabral guy was inspired. Jovan. Jovan Cabral. The first time I, I heard someone try to draw him on Fanta, I was like, Cab <laughs> Cabral left, bro. He's not at Fiorentina anymore. And I was like, no, this is a Salernitana guy and he's wicked. And he is wicked. And then he's they hit you with the, don't you have a podcast? Don't, don't you have a Serie A podcast? I thought you had a Serie A podcast. I meant to know this stuff. Shut up! <laughs> he's got the touch of a fucking... <coughs> Pardon me, of a beast. Yeah. His first touch is very good, um, bar that one opportunity where he could have got them the winner. <laughs> yeah, bar, bar that one. Bar that, that one, yes. Um, but I particularly admire his, his drive, his, yeah. uh, his relentlessness. When drive is met with technique, 
you get a Chiesa, you get a Zaniolo, you get Berardi, you get Berardi, yeah, yeah. and finally you get Jovan Cabral. Some are luckier than others. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shall we jump right in? Let's jump right in and start things off with Sassuolo for Juve 2. So Sassuolo were coming off a 4-2 away loss against Frosinone. Leave it up to Sassuolo to lose a game 4-2 and then win the next one 4-2. Shout out to Santi who said that is the most Sassuolo thing ever yep. on the Patreon group chat. You know if you joined and you would have found it funny too and we could be laughing together potentially. Juve coming off a 3-1 home win against Lazio. Sassuolo have now achieved three wins in their last five Serie A matches against Juve. Juventus had Alexandro and De Cilio out injured while Spogba is still banned for doping. Sassuolo's injured... Sorry, yeah. I was a bit slow there. We, we never used it. <laughs> yeah. We've been meaning to use it. That's Freddie Mercury screaming scandal at the top of his lungs. Hit us with it again, bro. Yeah, and yeah. then while we're discussing the details, we can play this. Paul Pogba. <laughs> Paul Doping. That's a brilliant song. The Miracle is a great album by Queen. I recommend you go listen. Um, but not before you listen to Seria Spotlight. Sassuolo <laughs> had Alvarez and Consigli out injured, naturally, meaning Cranio started once again. Now, when it comes to the lineups, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation for Sassuolo with Cranio on goal and the backline of Vinia, Tressoldi, Ehrlich and Tolian with Henrique and Boloca playing as the midfield two with Lauriante and Berardi on the flanks Bayrami just between them and Pinamonti up top Pinamonti, Luca Toni, you decide <laughs> For Juve it was a 3-5-2 formation with Wojciech Szczesny in goal <laughs> I think to be honest because there might as well have been no one in goal <laughs> Um, a backline of Gatti, Bremer and Danilo with McKenny out on the right, Kostic out on the left, a midfield three of Miretti, Locatelli and Rabio with Chiesa and Vlaovic up front together. Now things started off uh, in the 12th minute terribly for Juve and very well for Sassuolo as Lauriante opened the scoring. Um, his knuckleball was aimed straight at Szczesny. He shot it from just outside the box. Um, Szczesny attempted to parry the ball, but he kind of punched it into his own leg, took a couple ricochets off his own leg and ended up in the back of the net. So a classic blunder where the ball is going straight to the keeper and the ball somehow manages to find its way into the back of the net. So... That gave Sassuolo the 1-0 lead. However, and then just nine minutes later, to make it 1-1 for Juve, Vinya scored an own goal. It was Chiesa's in-swinging cross to the far post that was meant for McKenny. Um, but instead, it was Sassuolo's Vinya who got there first, turning the ball into his own net on the slide. Making it 1-1, naturally. In the 37th minute, Szczesny denied Tresoldi's point-blank header getting down very well. He thought he made amends for his previous mistake. In the 41st minute, Berardi made it 2-1 for Sassuolo. Henrique carried the ball up the centre of the pitch very well before laying the ball off to Berardi, setting him up brilliantly for a trademark Berardi effort. Berardi hit the ball first time from just outside the area on his favourite left foot, um, with the ball curling into the bottom corner on the Italians on the Italians' 300th Serie A match. Congratulations, Berardi. However, then in the 78th minute, a very, very gassed Chiesa got another equaliser for Juve, making it 2-2. Chiesa beat Cranio at the near post following a slightly deflected strike from inside the box. Fagioli did well to find his teammate following a cleared cross earlier in this attack. 
In the 82nd minute, however, just four minutes later, it was Pinamonti that got a goal back for Sassuolo, making it 3-2. Remember the Loriante shot that went through Chesney, the first goal that I described? It was the exactly same shot, but this time Chesney didn't manage to catch it. He parried it directly to Pinamonti, who headed in on the rebound. It sounds like I'm being harsh on Chesney, but he definitely could have caught that ball, or at least don't parry it directly to the striker. He could have parried it clear. I learned that when I was a goalkeeper at nine years of age. No, this isn't disrespect to Chesney, but it's just proving that it is Chesney's fault. Matthew's <laughs> not bullshitting there, by the way. He was a goalkeeper um, with Mosta FC, shout out. Yes. Um, and he was very good. I was very yeah, good, but then I didn't grow past 5'8", so I yeah. was quite <laughs> naturally quite disappointed with that. But I was top, man. I won the penalty. You were very good, you were very good when everyone was that. your height. Yeah, man. Fuck it. Now the posts are a bit too tall for you, bro. Yeah, they are a little bit. However, I've played some games and I was, I was, <laughs> I was alright. <laughs> it's good when you play with people that aren't that good, man. Or tall. <laughs> or tall. Or tall. <laughs> In the 93rd minute, Chesney did very well to deny the Fred's bullet strike from close range, tipping it onto the crossbar. And in the 95th minute, um, it just sealed the shit show for Juventus. Um, there was a free kick for Juve to be taken just outside their own box, close to the corner flag. Now with Juve chasing the game, Chesney stepped up to take this one as the defender started pushing forward. Chesney attempted to play the ball to the centre-back, Gatti, a low, dangerous ball in the middle um, of the pitch. Gatti, who had only, he could either have cleared the ball out for a throw-in or played it back to Chesney. He attempted to play it back to Chesney, he overcooked the pass, misdirected it and it ended up in his own net. So it was the least productive one-two I've ever seen um, between two players. It went down naturally as a Gatti on goal. I don't think like Chesney did a great job either no, look, in this case. Chesney played the ball to Gatti, who was not in space, no. right? He was being pressed, no. quite frankly. The press was very effective yes. by Sassuolo, totally, to be clear. Totally, take nothing away from them. And Chesney, when he saw that um, Gatti was being pressed, stayed wide. He pulled wide. Yeah, exactly. To offer him an option, like, so I can play it back to him. Yeah, I think that the priority over there in that situation should be get back on your line. Yeah, one one hundred percent. You know the pass wasn't great. You see the players attacking your man. Get back and defend your goal. Yeah. Like it's 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 basics. It's do or die. Um, and it almost seemed like he made zero effort, even yes. even when the pass like. There are other keepers in the world that had they been on their toes, they could have gotten to that pass. You know what I mean? This is obviously being overly critical after a very no, negative of course, it's, performance. It's, it's, it's by the just, audacity to, to just stand there and watch it roll and in. Like, stare like at it's Gatti, almost like, like exactly like he, he took the opportunity to milk Gatti's embarrassment. Yeah. Instead yeah. of like, like he, this guy, Shesney, has just made two costly mistakes for Juve. And now he's in a situation where he might have contributed to a third. And instead of running to get the ball off the line, like granted they were already losing, but instead of running to try to stop the goal from happening, he just watched his teammate disappointedly like, exactly. the entire time, just exactly. torturing him essentially. A, a youngster at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like that move one bit by Chesney. No. Obviously after, after a negative performance, you see Onana in the Champions League, he went up to the journalist himself, said, I take full accountability for mm. everything, stop blaming the team and blame me he takes that responsibility and he's new to the team Chesney is a veteran between the sticks for Juve he's been there for a fucking hot minute now man and 
he's one of the senior players, so he should lead by example. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have a stinker every now and then. Well, it's not okay, but it's understandable. Yes. Um, and, and I feel like a young guy like Gatti should be guided at least by Chesney. Maybe yes, or encouraged, especially. All right, he's not that young. Gatti's twenty five, but he's new to the top division. This exactly. guy was a bricklayer a few years yeah. ago, you know, he was playing in Serie D or whatever a few years back. Mm-hmm. Serie D, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, not to be overly harsh on Chesney, of course, this game was not like him. He's usually very solid and I like the way he organizes the defense and he usually leads that defense to many a clean sheet victory. So yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to be overly critical with him. He does have to be careful, however, because his backup deputy goalkeeper is um, no joke no joke he's very competent and uh, I would say that he has the most competition from a backup goalkeeper in the league when mm. you look around like there's no backup goalkeeper better than Perrin mm. Mm. Sportiello is better than Perrin not, not on par I would say Mm, but, I don't know I think but, parents but that, that's just deal, making an argument yeah, yeah, out yeah. of nothing yeah. is the thing I'm doing right now yeah as in the thing is there is quite some distance between Manian and Sportiello right yeah, you know yeah, who you'd rather yeah, yeah, between yeah. Chesney and Perrin and Juventini are quite divided yeah yeah, and, and I think like we obviously see performances by Chesney that, that completely counter this performance however we have seen in history Chesney make mistakes yes yeah, the, the reason that he's not in my top three um, Serie A goalkeepers um, The reason that Arsenal fans don't rate him Exactly You you Google Chesney Arsenal blunders And you've got yourself a 20 minute watch um, Now I want to evaluate Whether this performance is A once in a while Kind of thing Something Juve shouldn't be concerned about Or should it be a bit of a growing concern Do you think no, it I could mean... be Repeated behaviour or I think this was a freak collapse with individual errors that are uncharacteristic of the players who committed them. Mm. Um, Gatti, even prior to the mistake, I had never seen him play so badly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the, the defence um, was very concerning yeah. in the game. Honestly, apart from Chiesa, Chiesa, I can't point out who had a good game for Juve. It was a shambolic performance by Juve. Yeah. Shambolic From top to bottom Like you look at Chesney and Goal Had an absolute Horror show You got Vlaovic Up front An absolute mm. horror, horror show Like yeah. The things that Vlaovic Is usually Amazing at like, like finishing His execution His killer instinct He didn't have that At all At one point He was in front of the goalkeeper He rolled it out Like you know, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that finish Was so disappointing but, Yeah man um, I, th- I think to be honest, and, and if you look at the mistakes that took place in the game, you see where Juve were most vulnerable and it was Sassuolo's press that played a massive, massive part. They they have got the ideal starting eleven to play this press football. They've got Berardi, Bayrami, Lauriante, Pinamonti. Well, the lesser being Pinamonti in this case, because Lauriante, Bayrami and Berardi in this game were constantly, constantly pressing and putting pressure on that back three who got exposed and they are three great defenders. We've got Danilo Bremer and Gatti. Mm-hmm. And to put four past those, it doesn't take a, a couple of random mistakes. But I genuinely think that it was Sassuolo's efforts that made Juve make these mistakes. The shots from long distance by by um Lauriante. He knew what he was doing in that case. And he, he knew about the, the weather awkward. conditions. He knew about the weather conditions. Yeah. He was hitting the ball on a knuckleball from an angle when Chesney's view was blocked. It was a very smart performance yeah, by Sassuolo. That's it, street smart, very street smart. 
And I think the man to highlight from Sassuolo, so we spoke a little bit about Juve um, and where they struggled um, and why. Now Sassuolo, apart from their press, I think how how ridiculously good is Domenico Berardi? Because sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy because every year it seems like he's the best right winger in the league. And I've been watching Serie A for what, bro, most of my life. Yeah. And over the past three to five seasons, over over the past five seasons, I've watched a solid starter on the right-hand side for Sassuolo. And every year, if I had to make a starting eleven of the best performance, at, at best performers, I would have him on my right-hand side. But when I bring him up to Milan fans, when I bring him up to other people... They, they, they called him a failed Juve player. Um, they say he's not up to the standard of other Italian teams. And I can't quite understand where the fuck the criticism could come from, man. Because his whole life he's been explosive, he's been tricky, he's been professional. Mm-hmm. He's ridiculous. It's his, it's his performances for the national team on the big stage that have ruined his reputation and the fact that he never left Sassuolo. So many people, instead of romanticizing and the the fact that this guy's stuck with a minnow club mm. and, and appreciating what this guy that what this guy did is so rare nowadays in the game, mm. um, they viewed it as Domenico Berardi is not capable <coughs> of moving to a bigger team. He has a yep. weak mentality. He's um, he's scared, you know, he's scared to take the next step. And it's not true at all, because when the going gets tough for Sassuolo, you know, and, and it's not like he's being urged on by thousands of fans, you know. I mean, Sassuolo only yeah. have only had fans recently. They've only started to get this, a few, This season, a few we've fans. started to see some guys yeah. out. Because the stadium's always empty, literally. Every game at the Mape Stadium's home advantage for the away team, essentially. Literally. Um, yes, but since 2013, when he debuted for Sassuolo, he has been absolutely top tier, man, when it comes to that right wing position, bro. And he has this drive, he has this desire, he hates to lose, and you can see it when things don't go his way. His eyes start burning up, he gets pissed off, he gets heated, his cheeks go rosy, you know how it is. Um, and, and that's the, that's what motivates him, and that should be enough, and I have a feeling. That no matter where this guy goes in his career, like, like let's say he goes to Juve in January, like many yeah. people are saying, I think that he will become an undis- undisputed starter. Uh, like, there's no other, he won't have it any other way. 100%. He'll be the first to arrive and the last to leave until yeah. he becomes the starter. No, that's the thing. And he's captain material, Berardi. I think anywhere he goes, he, he'll carry that professionalism um, that he has. He absolutely terrorized Juve in this game. I think we saw... Juve exposed at the back, uh, which is an area where they were so strong last year until there was one game against Napoli where they had gotten demolished by around four goals. And then we started seeing holes in their game. This time it came a bit early. It'll be interesting to see how they adapt and how they recover after that. They have gotten their first loss now. Um, Sassuolo looking good, man. They're looking decent. It's good to see Pinamonti. More and more on the. I, I think this is third match in a row where he scored Pinamonti, and this is this is what the guy needs. The guy like yes, this goal was lucky. It was a Chesney mistake, and he got the rebound. Yes, fucking right. Put him in a situation where he scores a rebound. He's the striker. He needs to score these, and those are the goals he needs to get yeah. first and foremost. And secondly, 
put a few goals under his belt and we'll see how he start performing after he that. Just, Footballers are very egocentric. So we'll and, see how he responds to scoring these yeah. goals. And he's just scored against Juve. So, yep. so that's quite um, the moral boost. 100%. Um, I want to point out Sassuolo's kit. Very bright. Yeah, very bright. Very, very bright. I thought it was cool. I thought it looked cool. Especially Lorienté. I don't know if it's because he was balling out, but he looked really cool mm. in that kit. He did look cool. I, I like. I always like Sassuolo's kit. I really like dark green as yeah. as, as a colour. Um, yeah, of course. I, I agree. It's going to be banned no soon. I believe I so. I've, I've, I've heard this. I've always heard this from weird sources. Um, but apparently, the colour green in Serie A isn't going to be allowed on kits anymore. For the spectators and for the referees, like, because yeah. camouflage. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Fair right, enough. But they definitely won't have that problem with this Saswala kit because it's one of the brightest kits yeah. I've seen. <laughs> yeah, they're reacting, eh? Yeah. We could go ahead to your game now, brother. Okay, the next game we're going to be discussing is Empoli Nil Inter one, this match took place, of course, at the Stadio Carlo Castellani and it was packed with action and featured a stunning wonder goal that you won't want to miss. <laughs> Rewind to our intro to hear it. <laughs> but seeing it's much better. Um, Inter have maintained their perfect record of five victories out of five games, while Andrea Zoli made his fourth debut for Empoli, who look much better already since, the, since they replaced Zanetti. Um, with the veteran but however they are still searching for their first league goal they haven't yep. scored a single goal yet in five games yep. so yeah um, devastating stuff for them and anyone who took their players on fantasy football <laughs> Simone Enzaghi made five changes from Inter's midweek 1-1 draw at Real Sociedad this time he lined up with Jan Sommer in goal Bastoni Cherby and Pavard at the back of course it's a 3-5-2 as usual goes without saying Federico Di Marco was out on the left Mikita Inshallah and Frattesi were in the middle with Darmian out on the right and the forward partnership of Thuram and Lautaro Martinez. <clears throat> For Empoli, it was a 4-3-2-1 formation over here with Andrea Zoli swapping out the double pivot. Berisha was in goal, Ebuehi was the right back with Ismaili Luperto and Pezzella playing alongside him. And Marin, Ranocchi and Maleh were the midfield three with Baldanzi and Cambiaghi playing behind Steven Spendi. In the early stages, it was all Inter and their dominance almost paid off when Matteo Darmian's header was miraculously cleared of the line by Empoli's Ismaili. Empoli, however, gradually found their footing in the match, but they struggled to attack and it was quite evident, to be honest. Um, Inter's formidable five-man midfield orchestrated by the great manager Simeone, <laughs> Simone Inzaghi. Simeone there. Maybe I'm <laughs> foreshadowing something in the future. Um, they proved to be a formidable force. Thuram had the ball in the back of the net uh, in the first half after a great ball by Chalanoglu, but it was ruled out for offside. And towards the end of the first half, Berisha emerged as a hero um, with his fantastic reflex saves that um, denied Inter going into the break. By the time the break actually did arrive, Inter managed 65% ball possession and 13 shots. Four of them were on target, while Empoli barely ventured into the final third with just three attempts all off target. The second half saw Steven Spendi coming close to breaking the deadlock. You might wonder, who the hell is Steven Spendi? Now I did some um, some googling. The, the commentator who really knows how to pronounce stuff was calling him Spendi. 
Spendy. But uh, I prefer Spendy, man. Yeah. I like Spendy. It's fun to say. Yeah. But that commentator does know how to pronounce everyone's names. He's 20 years old. He's five foot 11. He was born in Italy and he started his career at Cesena. He actually represented the Albanian national team at under 19, under 20 and under 21 level. Has he ever scored? Um, he scored a couple of goals for Cesena in 31 games. He scored 12. Um, he's currently on loan at Empoli. We'll see what he can do over here. But anyway, where the hell was I? Ah, yes. So the second <laughs> half saw Empoli's Steven Spendi coming close to breaking the deadlock, but it was Inter who ultimately took the lead. Federico Di Marco etched his name into the match's history with a sensational first-time volley from outside the box with the outside of his foot, finding the top corner of the net and leaving Empoli fans gobsmacked. Um, and then his celebration, of course, rubs salts in all the wounds now where he kind of just um, pouts his lower lip and like opens his, yeah. uh, how do you even explain what he does? He like opens his like, palms up in the air and goes like, like shrugs. So? Yeah, so what? So? What? Yeah, I just did that. <laughs> in the final 20 minutes, Inter introduced fresh faces as usual, solidifying their lead and shutting out Empoli completely. This defeat marked a historic low for Empoli, as they have become the first Italian team in Serie A history ever to lose five consecutive games without scoring. Furthermore, furthermore, um, contrasting this greatly, Inter extended their impressive record as the side Empoli has suffered the most defeats against in the league. Yeah, I think this was a match made in hell for Empoli when they can't get a single victory. They play against a team that can't drop a single fucking point. Um, they can't score a goal. They're playing against a team that only conceded one goal to Rafael Leao in the derby della Madonnina. Um, and they scored five that game. So you scored. It's like they, they concede one for every five goals that they're scoring. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I mean... The match went pretty much how anyone would expect it to, right? And an, an inter victory to nil. I think what what I noticed in this game, at least, is firstly the verse the the um, depth of this inter team. I think in the every every season, every season, I look at their squad list and I say, ah, okay, they haven't gotten that much depth. But the amount of players they have that are capable of playing the system is ridiculous. Now, in this case, you had Frattesi and he wasn't starting instead of Mkhitaryan, but he was starting instead of Barella over there. And he had a great game, Frattesi. Um, he had a great game in the Derby. He had great games for Italy as well. The, this Inter team who afforded to make some changes, bringing Pavard on, so on and so forth. I wouldn't say they struggled against Empoli, but Empoli... Gave them a game. The Empoli, yeah. what they did was they made it hard for Inter to score. That's all they did. Yes. I mean, they. we all know Andrea Zoli, right? He tries to play his own game. And I feel like he's implementing his philosophy slowly, slowly over here without overhauling everything and causing a massive um, mm. disaster in the dressing room, quite frankly. Let's play with what we know. And yeah. slowly, slowly start to get the philosophy going. I mean, you absolutely nailed it, bro. This was a tough test for them. You know, new manager, sure. But the first, your first test is a team that doesn't concede. Yeah. A team that doesn't lose, quite yeah. frankly. So far this season, at least. Yeah. And I always struggle to, like, praise small teams when they have a good game against a bigger team. Because 
it's what you expect. You'd expect the players to get better when they're playing Inter rather than Genoa. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? With no disrespect to a beautiful team like Genoa. Um, but you you see it all the time. Andrea Zoli's first match, he's absolutely transforming the team. Sure, maybe in a couple of days, but right now you had 11 young men who got to play against the Champions League finalists of, of next season. So, of course, they're going to run their legs out. It's not a direct sign that Andrea Zoli came in and suddenly all these players are motivated again. We need to see over a longer period of time. Of course, yes. I mean, they were very brave to sack Zanetti. I feel like I'm sure it was a difficult decision because they have had their good moments with the manager. But they had to do it before the before the spell of games where they can actually get some points out of it before Zanetti proves to them that he really can't do it and it's too late, you know. Like yeah. this Empoli are still in time to turn their season around and how? Like it's, yeah. it's only match day five for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um Arnautovic out for a month. Um and that basically leaves Inter with more fit number nines than Milan. <laughs> 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 Who don't have an injured number nine. <laughs> Um, this is what we mean, of course, when we talk about Inter's depth. Like, Arnautovic got injured this game. How many number nines do they have left? Like, pure number nines. They have Thuran and Martinez. Thuran, Martinez. And and then they have Sanchez, who's a hybrid, yeah. kind of. But yeah. they they have two, right? Yeah. Milan have Giroud, who's 37. <laughs> Obviously, hate saying that, but it has to be said. And Jovic, who was brought in on deadline day and hasn't quite gelled with the team yet and isn't quite ready to start. No. So, you know, um, sometimes I look at this Inter team and I just think they're running a very smart yeah, smart um, way from Marotta's end, not for the ownership's end. Because the ownership's investment and the financial situation leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, it's like they try to make them worse in that exactly. sense, the owners. But Marotta's working with his, <laughs> with his um, directors against him and he's doing God's work quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. And, and we see this time and time again the last two summers at least everyone's saying Inter don't have any spending power okay but if there's a player on the free on, on, on a free first they have got bigger pull than a lot of the Italian teams um, especially at the moment um, even the fact that Turam mm-hmm. and Frattesi joined them over Milan for example and over Roma and over all these other teams Um but they're also very smart with the acquisitions. They think system first and then they think player profile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like they're only capable of signing players that really fit the system. You see Turam after five games, how good does he fucking look yeah, yeah, yeah. for them? You see Fratesi coming on and starting to be implemented. How fucking good does he look? Pavard looked good in this game as well. Chalanoglu, when it comes to this new register role, who is he? Chalanoglu or Brozovic? Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? It, it, He's it, even it, got it's, his own song now. Literally. literally, literally. It's, um, it's like they have Brozovic back. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I wanted to point out as well, bro, um, Thuram had the exact same attempt that led to his goal against Milan, his I goal know. of the week. He, just over the bar. Yeah. He was, he was about to do it again. Yeah. One week later. Mm-hmm. Wild. Yeah. But yeah, um, that concludes this game. Basically, Inter continue to dominate Empoli. Do look better, but um, so far no cigar, no goals and no points for in- for Empoli as Inter sit top of the table alone. No cigar for me. I don't know if you guys have noticed you haven't been hearing lighters going, going off in, in our episodes in the last two episodes. It's because we're recording in 
my bedroom because the sound quality is is better over here and obviously there's no smoking in my room so yes and i'm pretty sure matthew gave me asthma from smoking cigars <laughs> in my face <laughs> big baby who's jake also smokes a couple of cigars during these episodes um bologna nil napoli nil is the next game we're gonna be covering and um, this game took place just yesterday um, Bologna coming off a nil-nil draw uh, to Verona whereas Napoli are coming off a 2-2 draw to Genoa and a 2-1 away win in the Champions League against Braga at midweek Bologna are in fact the team against which Napoli have scored the most goals in Serie A where they have 194 goals in 129 matches Napoli have also won 49 of the previous 128 uh, fixtures, with Bologna winning 41 times and 38 draws also. Bologna had Sao Mauro injured, whilst Napoli had Gollini, Jesus and Rahmani out for this game. Now for the formations, Bologna played a 4-2-3-1 formation with Skorupski in goal and a backline of Christiansen, Lukumi, Belkema and Posh. They had Freuler and Abisher as a double pivot with Carlsen out on the left and Doi out on the right and Ferguson playing behind Zergzei. For Napoli, it was a 4-3-3 formation with Meret in goal and a backline of Di Lorenzo, Ostegard, Nathan and Oliveira. They had Anguissa, Lobotka and Zielinski in the middle with Raspadori out on the right, Kvaratskeli out on the left and Victor Osimen up front. Now, just five minutes in, Ossiman hit the post from a tight angle following a good through ball by Raspadori. Knock, 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 knock. Um, however, after that, Napoli seemed to struggle to penetrate this very tight defensive um, uh, shape that Bologna were maintaining throughout the match. In fact, Napoli got their best opportunity um, in the 72nd minute of the match after they finally got awarded a penalty. It was a little bit harsh, um, but Califiori gave this one away as he handled the ball whilst he was going to ground. Not too well versed on the rules of handball, um, considering that they change every two years and they just add 50 exceptions every single time. I'm guessing this wasn't one of the exceptions, albeit it might look harsh. The ball was handled in the area and a penalty was awarded to Napoli. Now, Osimhen stepped up and despite sending Skorupski the wrong way, he failed to hit the target with his shot narrowly straying wide. Another penalty miss for Napoli. They had Raspadori against Sassuolo and now they have Victor Osimhen, their leading talisman against Bologna. And um, Osimhen originally was never their penalty taker to begin with. He was never their first option on the from the penalty it's spot, true. which is weird because he's a proper bomber, 20 goal a season striker. It's true. And usually they take everything. Yeah, man. But there's Zielinski, yeah. who's very talented from so There's Politano, Politano, who's probably their best penalty taker, bro. He can hit them. Huh? Yeah. But, but when you've got someone that scores that many goals up front and is constantly on form, then you give the ball to him personally. Mm-hmm. There's there's Guevara as well, who's missed a few. Um, he could have probably used this penalty to, to get his name on the score sheet finally. Yeah. Um, in the 75th minute, Zergze did well to keep the ball at his feet in the box of the opposition following multiple attempts to take the ball off him, but his shot was straight at Meret. However, I decided to write this point down because he showed great technique through all of that classic Zergze showing great technique yeah. and then not scoring too many goals for the time being, naturally. Now, let's start off by discussing um, Osimhen's penalty miss because obviously... Napoli struggled to penetrate Bologna um, because it was Thiago Motta's side putting on a defensive masterclass against Napoli, pressing when they need to press and really playing with the slow block, which constantly denied Raspadori's runs. 
and Zielinski's runs, Guevara's runs, and someone was always on Ossiman, at least one yeah. player. Finally, they got the opportunity from the spot. Um, Ossiman stepped up and he did send the keeper the wrong way, but he failed to hit the target. How much of a blow is that for Napoli moving forward this season? Drawing to Bologna in general. Drawing to Bologna and more, more than that, but it's... Kvara is struggling. Mm-hmm. He hasn't scored since March. And now Osimen mm-hmm. just missed the penalties and they have a new manager and they're not looking as direct, naturally because it's not his style, but they're not looking as effective as they did last year. They're looking worse and their two top performers are currently in a slump. Yes, and their two top performers have um, protested the manager's decisions openly. Um, You see when Ozyman was taken off, he had two fingers up. Yep. And not in a way to say like up yours. Mm. He was um, basically saying, I could have played up too. To up top with Simeone. I could have played alongside Simeone for the end while we're looking for a goal. Why are you taking me out? Um, Guevara as well seemed to be questioning his his decisions. It's not <laughs> it's not looking good for Rudy Garcia so far. There are definitely some growing pains. He's got all the pressure in the world, and that's um, the difference between Spalletti's time and Garcia's time. Spalletti didn't have much pressure. No, he was a dark horse mm. for the for the Scudetto. Now Rudy, Rudy Garcia has a lot of pressure and now these players have proven themselves so they have a bit of leverage over him. The fans prefer the players to the manager because who the fuck is this manager? He didn't win us the league. Exactly. Um, it's going to be very tough and I wonder what's going to happen with Napoli. It's going to be a real test of character for Garcia over here. Five matches in, not quite off to the flyer that they were off the last season um, and some players are already turning against him maybe a little bit and maybe soon we'll start seeing it from the fans but we hope that they'll be able to turn it around now there were limited goal scoring opportunities in this match so there aren't too many moments essentially to highlight um it was more napoli playing the ball around and bologna really sitting back and and denying them um i think bologna now that I, I made the point recently that this is their first full season under Motta and last season towards the beginning they were really struggling under Mihailovic whose health conditions at the time obviously were um, all over the place and that did lead to his, his unfortunate passing and then Motta came in and he managed to revitalize kind of the, the spirit of this team. Um, he figured out which best players to play, um, he figured out his system, he figured out the identity of this team. And now we're seeing them at the beginning of the season having some real tests. They, they've had some tough opening fixtures. They played Juve, they played Milan, um, and now they played Napoli. How, how are you seeing them performing? It's tough to tell when they play against all these top teams. I mean, they've, they've played up to the level of every opponent that they've faced. Um, I've been impressed with them. With each passing year, they get better and better. Um, especially under Thiago Motta and we had discussed in our first few episodes doing this that um, Bologna had a lot of talent mm-hmm. and Mihailovic was holding them back at the time. Yeah, that proved to be th- true because they've brought in a manager with clear coaching ideas, um, young, modern, charismatic, brave, 
a leader, a silent leader. He's mm. not the type to, you know, start shouting at the players and playing the author- authoritarian. Like he's yeah. he's an approachable figure, Teo yeah. Motta. And they've got a few nice pieces now. Chris and Carl on the left, they're doing pretty well. Mm. No, Chris. Christiansen and Carlson. Um, I really like the addition of Ndoye. I mentioned that every episode. I think the season <laughs> so far he's been super. But okay, Amal looks good as well. Um, Xerxes is developing nicely. <sighs> Show me Xerxes in three years' time. I think he's going to be super. Yeah, man. I, I just... I want to see him be a bit more of a poacher up there. No, I yes, know but this season, the he's, already, he's already improved. His numbers yeah. are already going up. Remember, it's match day five. Uh-huh. He and he has, a, he has a full season ahead of them with, with the coach's full trust. Exactly. what I believe, at least. Exactly. Um, yes. So, yeah, it seems like Bologna are getting better and Napoli are getting worse if we're summing it all up. But it'll be good to see um, how Bologna continue to evolve and hopefully we'll see them have an easier run um, sometime soon and let's see what happens with Napoli I mean a couple of their players on a slump um, screaming at the manager as they leave the pitch and it's another game where they didn't manage to get a full three points and this time they didn't even manage a single goal despite Osman hitting the post and failing to score from the penalty spot and there was a rebound there by Guevara he there should w- have got the rebound as well but he didn't it's here one season one there bro we, we talked about this last episode I believe this changed your mind at all but what's your stance on it? My my opinion can't change after one match. I, I still think that it, it, it is the state of mind he needs to get to in order to replicate those performances. If he isn't un, un, if he is not able to unlock that state of mind again, then he will never be as good as he was that that one season. Um because literally from match day one to match day thirty-eight last season, he stepped on the pitch and looked flawless, looked yeah. looked ridiculous, looked like prime George Best in every single match that they played. <laughs> he rocked it in the Champions League. He exposed defenders like Trent Alexander Arnold that before that were hailed by the likes of Cafu. Um and he was the one to to expose him defensively. He needs to get that confidence back. Until he gets that confidence back he's going to be considered a, a one-season wonder. But it took him one season to prove to us that he was good for a season. Let it not be five matches in the next season that teaches us that he's not that good. Well put. Um, also, Okio, Salamakers made his debut for Bologna. Yes, of course you bring him on against yeah. Napoli. Of course, yeah. You have to. So, let's go to the next one. Torino 1, Roma 1. Torino hosted Roma and Duvan Zapata netted his first goal for Torino to secure a valuable point against the Giallo Rossi. The hosts remained undefeated on their home turf this season and will dissect all the key moments and talking points from this exciting game. <laughs> so He's excited because this is the game that won him his bet. Yes, this is this was my favorite game of the week. For Torino, it was a 3-4-2-1 formation with Vanya Milinkovic-Savic in goal. Schurz, Bongiorno and Ricardo Rodriguez were at the back with Bellanova, Tameze, Illich and Lazaro. Um, as the four midfielders, Dembasek and Radonjic were playing behind Duvan Zapata. For Roma, it was their 3-4-2-1 formation with Rui Patricio in goal, Indica, Lorente and Mancini at the back, Spinazzola on the left, Christensen out on the right, Paredes and Cristante in the middle, with El Sharawi and Dybala playing off the very broad shoulders of Romelu Lukaku. Today I feel... uh... Torino entered this match following a spectacular 7-0 victory over Empoli and 
um, an Europa League victory against Sheriff Tiraspol. On the other hand, Roma hadn't scored an away league goal since their last meeting with Torino in April. The hosts aimed to avoid a repeat of the previous one and loss to Roma. The action kicked off early, with Torino carving out the first chance in the fifth minute when Lazaro delivered an inviting cross that Duvan Zapata attacked, only to be denied by the quick reflexes of Rui Patricio. Not something we say every day. No. Roma responded swiftly with Lukaku firing a long-ranged effort um, wide after being set up by Paolo De Bala. Now, I don't know about you guys, but to me, it wasn't that close, and if Roma made the fuss. <laughs> However, the first half... Because it was De Bala, like. <laughs> No, no, it was Lukaku. Uh, no, but it really was a, bro, it looked like No, no, I'm saying the fans over uh, here like, Oh my god, because exactly. he shot like Exactly. <laughs> I thought you were talking about my my innate bias. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the first half turned into a cagey affair. Both teams struggled to break the deadlock. The score remained goalless at halftime, and um, the second half kicked off. Dembasek narrowly missed the target with a low shot while Cristante struck the post at the opposite end and he was so close over there. He kind of hit the ball as he was falling down and the ball was like bouncing, just hit the post. Confusion, could have sworn Roma were going to score at that point. (laughs) Um, In the 68th minute, Lukaku swiveled in the box and found the back of the net, registering his third goal in as many games for Roma. Torino conceded their first home league goal of the season. However, the response was swift as Zapata on loan from Atalanta nodded at home from close range after a juicy, perfect delivery from Ivan Ilic. Yes. A what beautiful, a, beautiful what a cross, cross was yeah. yeah, yeah. And the scenes, the scenes were spectacular. What better way to get your first goal, that? Huh? Yeah. And you can see like you almost couldn't tell who scored because everyone celebrated yeah, when man. they scored. Yeah, that was, that was nice to watch. Yeah, and yeah. Um, ultimately, yes, neither team could secure a win, and the match ended one-one. Um, Torino sit in ninth. Roma are three points behind in thirteenth at the moment. Ooft. Now um, let's talk about Duvan Zapata first of all, mm-hmm. brother. And um, this was his first goal for Torino. Do you think this will kind of revive the sleeping beast that has been Duvan Zapata over the years? I mean, the best thing that could have happened to Duvan when looking to restart his career in Italy is he joins a club like Torino and he gets off the mark instantly. Yeah. And that's what he's done. I think he had one full 90 minutes before this game, or at least one performance before this game. And he got them an important goal. It was a good goal. It was a header. Um, in that situation, Zapata is very, very strong. And he'll be confident from that. And his teammates will be confident in him. Um, so if he is going to turn it around, he's taken the first step over there. Yeah. Um, fantastic, honestly. Um, I couldn't help but think to myself that he was past it, right? Mm. That um, he was past his best. But it turns out maybe it was confidence because how old is Duvan Zapata, for example? I think he's like... Um, 32 years old. A striker of his skill set at 32 should not be anywhere near finished. No. Because he's big, he's strong, he's powerful, and he he can play in the box. You can feed him in the box, you know, no problem. And he's quite good with his back towards goal as well in the Lincoln play as well he can he can be quite deployable I completely agree with you bro Torino's the perfect environment Juric is the perfect coach 
to develop Zapata and to try mm-hmm. to revive his career over there. And Sanabria will be good help when he comes back as well. 100%. He, he should be back. He was, I think he, he, he actually it. featured, mm-hmm. thank fucking Christ, because oh. in, in my other one, in my other Fanta, which I hate addressing the other yes, one. Yes, here we are on the podcast and we're talking about your other Fanta culture. I have Skamaka injured. <laughs> I have Caprari injured. This is what I hear all day. Guys. I had Sanabria injured, okay, and there was there was someone else injured, bro. Mm-hmm. Fuck knows, man. But some someone else injured, so I had one and a half strikers. But yeah. thankfully, he got me a six, which is all I needed to win. So yeah, from one striker to the next, let's talk Lukaku now, bro. Um, Lukaku continues to find the back of the net for Roma. Can he maintain the scoring streak? Do you think that, he, that we can have? a goal scorer who almost hits 20 goals a season like Abraham had done under Mourinho? Mm. I'm not incredibly confident to say, yes, he's going to get 20 goals. Mm -hmm. Um, But he is definitely going to get goals Mm -hmm. um, for Rome. I think if if he could stay fit, um, he's looking good. I think him and Dybala up top, whether it's playing with them up top or he has two guys like Dybala and El Sharawi flanking him, um, that's what he needs. That is what he needs because two reasons. One, he's good in the air. Um, not only headers, but even if the, if it's an aerial opportunity, um, he'll get it. And he's super strong when it comes to having his back towards goal. When he has his back towards goal, he's got players like the ball and the Sharawi that can hit the ball the way they do. Then it's only going to expose another great part to Lukaku's game. So I think system-wise, and even by having Mourinho as his manager and being in this system with this fan base, I think Lukaku can have a really, really good season, man. He can hit 15 goals, definitely. You remember him explaining to Jamie Carragher how easy it is for him to turn on defenders mm. and to beat them and like he had his back against them and he just turned and he absolutely destroyed them and he demonstrated how that's done if you haven't seen it guys it's on YouTube he does that to perfection this game against professional defenders like yeah. he has his back facing them like his back's facing them he turns and he's just one-on-one with the goalkeeper there's nothing anyone can do about it because no one can dispossess this guy no one can match him physically mm. there is one guy that had great success Can I, doing who that. Who was it? Game. Who was it? That this game? Yes. Ah, of course, it was uh, Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Yeah. Done a masterclass on how to deal with Lukaku. The amount of physical pressure he was putting on him was second to none. He was constantly up his ass and barging him. Barge is like, you're not going to go to ground. You're a fucking big boy. like. And he was nailing him. And then towards the end, you could you could see it was the same technique that he had been trying all game, Lukaku, which is what Jake was saying on the turn. And you could see Bonjourno trying and trying and trying. Um, but the last one was Lukaku's. Um, there was nothing he could do to deny that one. But up until that moment, Bonjourno really, really had Lukaku's number. Man. Yeah. yeah, but it's a shame that he managed to turn him the way he did. Yeah. But yeah, um, I can't help but feel that Mourinho is stubborn at times. I feel like at one point they were playing... Um, <laughs> no way, bro. You, you feel Mourinho is at times stubborn? Yes, man. Because, Fuck off. But even with his fucking style, man, like... I get it, he's a proud guy. I get it, he's a, a bit of a difficult person, maybe slightly narcissistic. <laughs> but... Um, 
he had found this perfect balance between a three at the back formation and a, a mixture of like direct and, and, and short vertical horizontal passes. You know, he had he had figured everything out, mm. like how to, this perfect balance between attacking fluidly mm. and defending and being pragmatic. Now that he's got Lukaku, he's got Dybala, he's got all these guys and he's just playing long ball again. Why Why do you go long ball against Torino? Like he played into Juric's hands. I feel like this was a tactical masterclass by Juric, if anyone. I think so. Who had a team who was worse in every single position than Roma was. I, I can't help but think, bro. For three years at a club, this is his third year. Um, and Roma still haven't been in the top four. And they have still been so tough to watch as a football team. I don't know, man. Maybe he's not cut out for Roma or maybe Mourinho's methods are a little bit outdated. Like you're saying, going for the long ball in this game. Is that really the best call? Would the best managers in the world take this approach against a team like Torino away from home? There is no right and wrong way of playing football, right? As boring as that is to say. Um, Of course, the great managers at the moment, the top managers don't view the game in the same way that Mourinho views the game very Mm -hmm. differently, right? Mm -hmm. You look at Pep's philosophy and De Zerbi, who's getting a lot of praise and Klopp and even Zidane, all these guys. They don't have the same philosophy as Mourinho, of course. Mourinho's philosophy is still useful. Don't get me wrong. I don't feel, I don't think it's outdated. I just think that it is the kind of philosophy, it's an underdog philosophy that you can't implement in a top club mm. anymore. And in fact, I think Mourinho is better suited nowadays for teams like Roma, who, are, who aren't quite there, but you need to go there, win smart and kind of... You know, pragmatically, win in, more pragmatically. The, the, the business need, so to say, and the business need is to get wins. Yeah, that, exactly. That greater, that's it. That's that it. Greater good. And He's good at reinstating that, and where he shines most over there is in knockout competitions. Exactly. In fact, he, he took this Roma side, who haven't been that impressive at all and have been operating on a budget for the past few seasons, he took them to two European finals in three years. Yeah, two years in two years. The back to back Conference League final, he won it. Europa League final, he he lost it and he probably should have won mm. it. But yeah. No, I don't know about you though. I'm I'm a supporter of the Italian league. I'm I'm the supporter of pretty much all the Italian teams when it comes to European competitions. But um I obviously have my favorite team in, in Italy. And as soon as they appoint a coach, my number one goal as a Serie A fan is that the team gets themselves in the top four. Um, now, I don't know if that's different for me because I'm a Milan fan and, and Milan were away from top four for so long. But what I want to do is show that my team is the best within their league. That is the number one priority. And just as a fan, seeing the way Mourinho operates in putting all his eggs in the European trophy basket. And I don't know if it's his decisions or whatever that are making Roma struggle so much in Italy. But clearly their focus is elsewhere. It's on the European competition. I don't know how I feel about that, man. Because even now it's another season without Champions League for Roma. In their third Mourinho season, they're still not playing Champions League, man. Now it's still early. They could could get Champions League this season for all I know. 
But when I watch them, I don't get the feeling like this is a Champions League team. No, no, and the competition in Italy is obviously increasing, right? And it's becoming tougher and tougher and tougher. Um, we'll see. Um, I have a feeling that this might be a make or break season for Mourinho. Either he brings home a trophy or he's done. Quite yeah, frankly, we'll we'll see. Pretty much, man. Um, and and it's so difficult for them to bring a trophy right now. I mean, <laughs> you know, and. The way they've played hasn't been inspiring, but they can actually turn it around. Um, season is early and they've made some smart signings. The way that we're talking about Mourinho and Roma, this kind of hot and cold thing, is the same thing that Mourinho is doing, by the way. He's like, ah, you know, I'm really happy right now. Um, what's his name? Matic betrays me. He leaves. We don't bring some guy off the street. We bring in Paredes. And Renato Sanchez, right? One week later, he's like, I, I, I look at the players I'm dealing with. You think if Renato Sanchez was good, he'd be here, he'd be at PSG. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said, essentially. So, so yeah, um, hot and cold with Mourinho, Definitely. as usual. 100%. Yes. You're up. Milan won, Verona nil is the next game we're going to be covering. Milan were coming off a devastating 5-1 loss to Inter in the day with La Madonnina, whereas Verona were coming off a nil-nil draw at home to Bologna. Now, Milan essentially have Verona's number. They've won each of their last five league matches uh, against Hellas Verona. Um, Milan had Benasser, Caldara, uh, Kalulu and Mike Manian out injured. Um, now, when it comes to Manian's situation, several Italian media representatives or whatever, including Daniele Longo, claim Manian suffered a flexor injury uh, in his left thigh, although the MRI scan did not highlight any lesion. Manian's condition was being monitored. Um, now he is back uh, training ahead of the Cagliari game, but not sure Milan will be in a rush to reintroduce him considering his injury history. Um, Verona had Braff, Doig, Onri and Hrustic out injured. Now for Milan, they lined up in a 3-4-3 formation. They had Tomori, Kier and Chao at the back with Sportiello between the sticks. They had Florenzi as a left wing back and Musa as a right wing back with Krunic and Reinders forming the double pivot. Um, Leao out on the left, Pulisic out on the right and Giroud up front. Oh, what the hell? Yep, it was, uh, obviously, as you're seeing, no Teo Hernandez, no Calabria. It was quite shocking um, to see this, this lineup. 3-4-2-1 um, for uh, Hellas Verona with Montepo in goal and the backline of Maniani, Hien and Davidovic. They had Faroni out on the right with Terracan out on the left and a midfield two of Folorun Shaw and Hongla with a front three of Duda, Ngonj and Lazovic. Now, in the eighth minute, Milan opened the scoring through Rafael Leao. It was Folorunshaw's risky pass on the halfway line, which was intercepted by Pulisic, who lost the ball to Hien, but won it back to keep the attack alive. Uh, the ball fell to Giroud, who played Leao through, and as you can imagine, the Portuguese outpaced the Verona defenders and finished into the bottom corner. In the 20th minute, Sportiello denied a Folorunshaw close-range header in great fashion, and then later on in the match, uh, Radek Krunic went down injured for Milan um, and he did have to come off. Um, now, he he did have some medical examinations done on him um, this morning, Monday morning, which according to calciomercato.com have highlighted a lesion 
to the right hamstrings. Now, Monday's report also details that Milan will re-evaluate his situation in 10 days' time, but the early indications are that Krunic will be ruled out for the next three matches for Milan against Cagliari, Lazio and Dortmund in the Champions League. The international break will and then uh, follow shortly afterwards, um, but I doubt Krunic will be anywhere over there. He'll probably still be recovering and he'll probably be fit for the return match, uh, which is Milan-Juve in San Siro. But a massive loss for Milan at a part where, like like you pointed out, uh, Calabria is also injured for Milan. The list is just starting to grow and Pioli already showed us that he's willing to adapt to that. And adapt to that he did, starting at 3-4-3 in this match. What was your initial reaction to that, seeing the 3-4-3? Um, last season when Milan were getting smashed in the league by Sassuolo, Inter, Lazio, everyone was just smashing Milan. They Udinese. Udinese. Um, Milan swapped to a three at the back, made it through in the Champions League and managed to maintain and hold in the league a little bit to stall until some players returned. I'm not a big fan of it and I don't think it gives you the best... Of Leao, for example, who needs space mm. to operate, um, who's good when he start when he drifts out wide and has a lot of space to run. You know, three, three at the back formations tend to be quite crammed. And if you're playing Leao up top in a front two, he would have to drift out wide for him to be effective, in mm. my opinion. Um, but I, I thought it was useful, <laughs> to be honest. I thought it was executed quite well, and I thought that Milan beat a tough. Verona side were quite stubborn when it came to going down. Yeah, and, and terrible conditions during the match as well, which just made it difficult for oh, everyone. Yes. The game was delayed by 30 minutes and it featured the referee walking around with the club captains, Faroni and Leao, bouncing the ball in different areas of the pitch until it finally bounced mm-hmm. and they were like, OK, we're good to go. 30 minutes, see you out there. Um, in, in, in other leagues, maybe this game wouldn't have gone on, but Milan did manage to get an, an early goal. Uh, in the eighth minute, and they managed to naturally d- defend until until the very end. That a three four three formation is very good in the defensive phase, man. Yeah, um, Milan were very organized defensively with with three at the back. However, one thing that rubs me slightly the wrong way about the change of formation is I don't know if it is because when Pioli started playing this four three three with his new midfielder, so on so forth. I was like, fucking right, this is it. Like, this is Milan's new identity and purely swore by it. Like, this mm-hmm. new 4-3-3 with the new players we have, Milan have. Um, Milan lost 5-1 to Winter and it's instantly to the 3-4-3. Now, is that a reaction you want to see from the manager because of a bad game and because of injuries? Or is it a lack of faith in the system that he's created in the 4-3-3? I I don't mind that he goes against his ideal principles and adapts for certain games. And I feel like that's what good managers do. It's just shocking that he never seems to do it against Inter, mm. purely. Um, I feel like this was not the logical thing to do against Hellas Verona, but it was the logical thing to do after public humiliation, because that's what it was mm. against Inter. Public humiliation and then a very frustrating nil-nil in the Champions League against Newcastle where Milan yeah. did deserve to win um, 
when it came to, you know, if you believe that the team that dominates and that builds the most play and holds the ball and creates the most chances deserves to win, in that case, Milan deserves to win. But yeah, um, I feel like purely avoided disaster against Verona. I feel mm-hmm. like he prioritized the defense while making sure there was a way to find the goal. Milan got the goal and then after that, killed the game. What did you make of Musa out on the right? I thought he was brilliant. <laughs> he was good, man. I thought he was really good. Yeah. And Florenzi on the left? Yeah, Bud- budget DeMarco. DeMarco. Yeah, yeah. Budget DeMarco. Budget DeMarco. Like DeMarco from Wish. Mm. I-, I do like his attitude, Florenzi. Yeah. Yeah. Just after all those injuries, I don't have too much faith in him tracking back effectively and running the full length of the pitch up and down and up and down, you know? Yeah, and I don't feel like his deliveries are that good, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe it's just me. Mm. <laughs> Maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I'm not a big fan of Florenzi. Okay, okay, well, thankfully for you, Milan also have a certain Teo Hernandez that yeah. doesn't start <laughs> in this game, who is very, very strong in that 3-4-3 formation. Um, so so we'll see if this is something that Milan are going to repeat and when they're going to repeat it and how they're going to repeat it. Like Milan play Cagliari this week and then their, follow, their following game after that is against Lazio. Um, and then it's, I, I believe, a Champions League game. Not sure if it's PSG. Yes, it is PSG after that. So we'll see if, if, how often he's going to utilize that 3-4-3 formation. But he's definitely not going to play with three midfielders anytime soon, considering that Krunic is now injured. How would you like to see the... How would you like to see Milan moving forward with, with, with this 3-4-3? Or would it be with three midfielders? And if so, who would you start? Oof. So my ideal is a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. I like those formations. Mm-hmm. Um... My ideal 11. Mm. Okay, so of course it's Manian, Teo Hernandez, Tomori, Chao, Calabria. Mm-hmm. Uh, fully fit or right now? Right now. Rinders, Loftus Creek, and Musa. Okay, interesting. Rinders, Loftus Creek, Musa. Is that, enough? Is that enough balance? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I think it's the best Milan could do. Mm. <laughs> um, Leao on the left, Pulisic on the right, and Giroud up front is what I want to say. So no Yasin Adli as the number six. Look, I mean, try that's, it. That's that's what is being yeah. rumored now. Try it, sure. Um, I can't help but feel like we need a little bit of physicality in the midfield. Mm. That there is, you play okay. Let's say you play Adli, and you play Rinders. And you play Loftus-Cheek. Loftus-Cheek is the only one there who can yeah. win a 50-50, you know? Yeah. That's that's true. Um, I also, I'm, I'm curious to see the, the early kind of rumour was that Pulisic was going to play as a 10 and Chukweza is going to play on the right. Mm. If Mina shift to a 4-2-3-1 now, maybe if they really want to take an offensive stance in one of the matches, th- that is an option. Pulisic as the number 10, Chukwes on the right, Leao on the left, Rinders love to streak behind them. Oof. With all those injuries, that does not sound like a bad starting 11, huh? Yeah, not at all. And Okafor hasn't even been mentioned yet. And Okafor, every time he comes yeah. on, mamma mia, man, those yeah. feet, how they move. They're ridiculous. He's good at holding the play up. Yeah, um, I don't think there's too much to add about Milan on that front. It's It's... Tough to really make any significant points about Milan after this was their first time in the 3-4-3 three, three, 
this season um, and there are a lot of uncertainties on who is going to be available and who isn't going to be available for Milan in the next few matches so over there I really encourage you to sit down and see what comes next (laughs) Um, that's what we'll be doing as well for Verona they were a tough opponent for Milan to score against I think they did a lot right up until that defensive error which led to um, Giroud playing Leao through and Leao getting the goal. I don't know if Verona are going to be as bad as they were last year, man. Not at all. They're looking better. They are better. They're much better. Um, I like their defence. Their defence is my favourite part of the team. Mm. They've got Davidovic, Hien and Maniani provide a very good How interesting last year. Like I was saying, that is my least favourite part of Verona, but now they're performing. They have Hien has, has been good for a while. Davidovic... Davidovic has this this season he's looking better Uh he can distribute well Mm -hmm. and Maniani is just Maniani (laughs) he gets the job done you know he's not going to do anything spectacular I mean he's 27 years old you know you see his name around he's like that type of player Um, but they do have a few useful tools over here and they have some weapons of the bench as well you can see they brought on for example Juric, Bonazzoli and Saponara of the bench those are offensive weapons They, they can Adapt to their to their opponents. Which is mm. nice. yeah. Don't you think Saponara should be starting for this team, though? I mean, with him, it's always a question of fitness. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> fitness, uh, mental state of mind. But yes, I do certainly think that Saponara should instead be of start. fucking Duda as a left winger. Man. Duda's been very good. He's been good, but he's not Saponara he's as not. a left winger in his number one position. Mm-hmm. Like, but anyway, that that's enough from me for this game, bro. We jump to the next. The next game we're going to be covering. This was a little bit abrupt, so I need to speak slowly. Lazio one, <coughs> Monza one. This game took place at the Stadio Olimpico. Of course, Lazio were home. Uh, we saw a resilient Monza come back from behind to score, uh, to secure a one-one draw against Lazio. Um, the starting lineup for Lazio was a four-three-three formation as usual. Provedelli in goal, legend. Marusic, <laughs> Patrick, Romagnoli and Hisai at the back with Guendouzi, Cataldi and Luis Alberto in the middle. Isaacson was on the right. Zakani was on the left and Chiro Immobile was the lone striker. Monza's starting 11 featured a 3-4-2-1 formation with Di Gregorio in goal, Carboni, Mari and Itzo at the back with Kyriakopoulos out on the left, Churi out on the right, Gagliardini and Pessina in the middle with Lorenzo Colombo up front with Danny Mota and Andrea Colpani playing off his shoulders. Now in a Serie A season marked by struggles, Lazio were eager to turn their fortunes around as they faced against a very tricky Monza side and within the first 15 minutes they got off to a Promising start when Chiro Immobile converted a penalty thanks to a fantastic run by Mattia Zaccani who was fouled in the box. Monza, however, refused to back down and could have equalised immediately if not for an offside flag denying Danny Mota's goal. The visitors continued to press with Patrick Churia missing a golden opportunity to level the score. Nine minutes before halftime, Monza's persistence paid off as Roberto Gagliardini tapped home from close range to bring the match level. Lazio failed to heed the warning signs and Monza capitalised on well-worked play to find the back of the net. Recognising their struggles, Lazio made halftime substitutions. They introduced Luca Pellegrini, Matthias Vecino and Felipe Anderson to add more firepower. Early in the second half, they came close to regaining the lead when Shiro Immobile narrowly missed a bouncing volley that struck the post. 
Monza too, however, had their chances, but the assistance flag denied Andrea Carboni after his attempt followed Ivan Provedel's initial save. As the match progressed, neither side managed to find a decisive goal, and it ended in a 1-1 draw. So, bro, Lazio's struggles in the league continue. Um, do you think that this is a game they should be winning? I mean, if you look at where Lazio want to be, which is better than they were last season, um, it's not a good result for them at all. If you see the way that the games have gone for them before this, you'll see that they have taken a significant step back. Um, they've only managed one victory in their opening five matches. It was a victory against Napoli, um, which really tells you something about where these two teams are so far this season. But when you look at the accumulation of times they haven't been able to get three points and the need for them to get three points, you only look at the Monza game and think this is a very disappointing result for them. Mm -hmm, totally. Um, I can't help but feel that Immobile is worsening. I feel like we've, we've said this in the last few episodes as well. Um, he's not quite ticking with his teammates as ideally as he should be. And I feel like the time of Castellanos might be looming. I feel like we might be seeing more of Tati Castellanos up front um, if Immobile keeps performing like this. Granted, he hit the post, he scored his penalty, he did what he had to do. But sometimes you have to offer a little bit more. And I feel like Immobile's passing can be a little bit wayward, especially in the final third. Yeah, I mean, last season we saw the best football Lazio were playing was with a false nine with Philippe Anderson up top. Mm -hmm. um, Pedro on the right, Zaccani on the left. That, that's how they had most of their success last season. Now they've got some new pieces. They've got Tati Castellanos, they've got Isaacson. So they have a bit more room to play around and explore over there. They've hung on to players like Pedro that they can also utilize. So they brought on, in fact, in this match. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that striker issue is one that... If it persists, it could be a proper problem for Lazio. I think the solution is as simple as popping Felipe Anderson mm. up top and mm. switch the play style to one that is more similar to what they played in last season when they had that approach. I loved the way they played with Felipe Anderson as a false nine, to be honest. Of course, they had growing pains over here with Guendouzi and Isaacson starting two new arrivals. Um, yeah, um, Monza are no joke. They're a very tricky team to play against. They have some talent in there, and Gagliardini actually managed to get his first goal for them off the mark. He's been playing quite well for them, bro. He's been playing very well, um, and it's not just the goal that is making me say that. But they lost Rovella mm -hmm. last season, and and Rovella was, and and they also lost Sensi. Those were those two players that that added this sense of fluidity in the midfield and it helped them be that very offensive team and a team that managed to turn defence into attack in a number of seconds. They also had Carlos Augusto that was very good at that, but obviously he's put aside in a conversation like this. Uh, Gagliardini came in and he is offering Monza more experience, uh, more pressure-resistant football, mm -hmm. um, and he's added that fluidity back and having Pessina to his side to have more of that attacking output and more of that forward passing, I think is a good balance to have in the centre of the pitch for Monza. And Gagliardini getting a goal is naturally going to take things to the next level for him. He is going to be one of their... Well, he'll probably be a bit of an unsung hero mm. this season mm. for them. Yeah, most most likely. How interesting. Um, yeah, Ravel actually came on for Lazio in the 76th minute. So that was a goal, the Lex loading, but it yes. never came. 
Um, I can't help but feel that Hisa is a little bit of a liability for Lazio as well at times, especially when it comes to playing against wingers who tend to expose his lack of pace, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, Churia had his number all game. Churia was just knocking it past him and beating him pretty much every time. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, they could do better in that in that um, area. Hisai and Marisic as the right back and the left back leave quite a lot to be desired. Lotito could definitely invest in a team. There's there's a team here. Um, they just need a few pieces. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's 2023 and their options in the wing back department are still Hisai, Marusic and Lazzari. And we've been saying that they needed new wing backs yeah. lots just since way before we started the they podcast. They should bring back Radu. They should bring back Radu. Does have Luca Pellegrini that featured off the bench. I don't think he was at, at 100%, but he's a... He's a good little left back, definitely an mm. upgrade from Hisai. And even if they want to pop him centre back, he's quite, he's quite powerful over there as well. Yeah. So the spoils were shared over here. Um, Monza. It was pretty much equal in possession. Monza slighting, uh, aging it ever so slightly. Um, Monza actually outshot Lazio sixteen to eight. Um, four of those being on target, while Lazio only had one shot on target, which just goes to show how much they are actually struggling. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, agreed. The next game we're going to be covering is Udinese nil, Fiorentina two. Now Udinese were coming off a nil-nil away draw to Cagliari, whereas Fiorentina were coming off an impressive three-two win against um, Atalanta and a Champions League draw away to Genk with the score of two-two. Coming into this game, Udinese had won three of their last five matches against Fiorentina. However, they did have injuries. They had um, Davis injured. They had uh, Delefeu, Ebosse, Ezibue, Cabasele, Mazina, Padelli, and Vivaldo out of this starting 11. Whereas, yeah, whereas Fiorentina had Castrovilli, Gonzalez, Mina, and Pierozzi out of this game. Aha, man, Udinese, it's not all just because they're shit, but they, they do have a significant list of injuries yeah. here. There's a 3-5-2 formation for them. Silvestri in goal on the back line of Christensen, Bijol, and Perez. A lot of Christensen's. Yeah, quite from a few. one season to the next, we we have quintupled in yes. Christensen's, <laughs> Christiansen's, uh, Christovich's, and and it is the year of Chris. The year of Chris. It's the year of the fucking year. Chris. Kamar out on the left, Ebosele out on the right. I thought he was injured. No, that's the other three that sound exactly <laughs> like him. Samardzic, Wallace, and Payero were in the midfield with Tuvan and Luca up front. It was a 4-2-3-1 formation for Fiorentina with Terracciano on goal on the backline of Dodo, Martinez, Ranieri and Biragi. They had Lopez and Mandragora as the midfield two with Brecola out on the right, Kwame out on the left and Bonaventura playing behind Inzola. Naturally, when I say Lopez, it's Maxi Lopez um, making... Maxi Lopez? Maxime. Maxime Lopez. Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm Maxi Lopez is one Danara's former lover and exactly. father Apologies. Apologies. Cardi's arch nemesis. Exactly. Um, it's Maxime Lopez who joined from Sassuolo making his first start for the club, actually. Now, it was a quick start for Udinese in this match, uh, but there were two saves, two great saves by Terracciano, especially the one on Samardzic in the opening moments. Um, moments later, and then Kamara sprinted down the wing in the 20th minute, breaking past Fiorentina's defensive line. He squared the ball to Luca for a sweaty goal, but Terracciano got into position well and blocked the finish. However, 
Luka could have done much better. There's a lot of strikers that when a sweaty opportunity comes, they just say, all I need to do is get it on target. Mm-hmm. A good striker finishes well. Luka just went to hit the target and Terracciano, being a professional goalkeeper and a very talented one, managed to get back in position well and deny him. Lorenzo. Great save by him nonetheless. Lorenzo Luka. Um, Rubbish? No, not at all. Um, I, I think he's so intelligent. I think he's so good at hold-up play and I think that He's got a bright future. Um, he just needs to work on his finishing and his um, confidence, quite frankly. He needs to get going. He's yeah. only 23 years old. He's massive, but he moves very, very intelligently. Um, it's kind of like, you know how you know you have a player when you look at Zergzi, you know his mold, yeah. you know what yeah. his final form can be. Lucas' final form can be so good. It can be so unique, man. He can be that type of striker that just knocks the ball down, close ball control. Chicky can still beat his man even though he's like six foot six, you know? He is good. And if you if you look at the way Udinese play, he's actually the one who drifts out wide, feeding the ball to Thovan, who's been mm. extremely wasteful more mm. often than not. Mm. Um, granted, Luka missed that um, empty goalpost situation, but it was at a bit of a tight angle angle for him. Um, he did it again in the 64th minute. Yeah. <laughs> he missed another sweaty opportunity. This time he hit the side netting as he tried to use his favourite right foot following a square ball by Ebosele on the counter-attack. That screams so a lack of confidence. He definitely needs to improve his finishing and his confidence. He has the attributes and the traits to be a very unique striker. You're, you're absolutely right mm-hmm. over there. He's not a bad footballer. He's actually very good with the ball at his feet for someone of his size. You go go look up Luka's goals. You'll see some headers with him being six foot eight, but you will see a bunch of goals where he finishes well. Um, so hopefully we manage to get that version of him but in the 32nd minute it was Fiorentina that opened the scoring through Martinez Cuarta Bonaventura played a lifted long-ranged pass from his own half to play through Martinez Cuarta uh, who made the most out of a massive defensive hole by Udinese by attacking the area of the ball the ball was accurate by Bonaventura and Cuarta did expertly well to bring the ball down and finish calmly and coolly past Silvestri a striker's goal for the centre-back who's been on fine form. Later on, Luka missed that second opportunity that I already described. And then the 93rd minute, Bonaventura turned from provider to goal scorer. As Fiorentina countered Udinese, the ball found Jack Bonaventura outside the area, who expertly and powerfully curled the ball into the bottom near corner. Very similar goal to Rodri's in the Champions League final, as I said mm-hmm. in the introduction mm-hmm. to this episode. So... Good win for Fiorentina, uh, 2-0 away to Udinese. Um, I think one thing that shouldn't be taken for granted is the fact that Fiorentina kept a clean sheet in this match. Now, a lot of it was Terracciano had five crucial saves in this match. He had five very, very good saves. He's a great goalkeeper. Um he had a double save at a point on Loverich and Ebosele. Um, and naturally as well denying Luka and that opportunity. On he denied Thovan as well. Thovan jumping at his feet. On Samardzic as well, yeah. who tried a pop at goal from significant distance. But it was 
also Fiorentina's defensive resilience. They had 16 clearances, 14 interceptions, 25 successful tackles. Um, and they also controlled possession quite a bit. They had 53% of ball possession and they were successful in 67% of the aerial duels against a tough Udinese team. So Udinese really haven't hit the ground running yet, but they're a tough opponent for anyone. And I feel like Fiorentina managed a very clean victory over here. Um, so I think we must highlight their defence. Yeah, um, and their defence is not only solid, but <laughs> turns out the prolific goal scorers as well. You have Lucas Martinez-Porta who scored two league goals. You have Ranieri, the other centre-back, who scored two goals in their European fixture midweek. Yeah. So, yeah, jacks of all trades over there. 100%, man. Fiorentina only had two shots on target um, and they both resulted in goals. On the other hand, Udinese had 20 shots um, with eight on target. Eight on target. With eight on target, yeah. Um, so again, Udinese were all over Fiorentina in this match who, who put in a very professional performance, however. How do you rate Udinese at the moment? Because it's been a tough start for them. Um, but I think in this game, we did manage to see them bringing the game to their opponents more. So Udinese have had an absolute nightmare so far, mm-hmm. starting the season. They were about to lose some hard zitch. They weren't sure if he was leaving, everyone was sure he was going to winter, and then it fell through when he joined late on in preseason. Yeah. Um, Pereira didn't renew his contract. No one wanted to sign him, apparently, and he ended up renewing after the preseason was over. So the two best players who joined after the preseason was over. They've got a new striker in Lukan Thuvan, who arrived halfway through the season last year. So loads of new faces here. Their fullbacks are new, apart from Ebosele, who was there last year, but wasn't a main mm-hmm. feature. The only staples in this team are Silvestri, Wallace, and Newen Perez. Yeah, maybe. it's pretty much a new team over yeah, here. I look at it exactly. and I can't recognize it. Like Exactly. And I do feel like they will get better and they will become a harder unit to score against, especially. That's what I feel with Udinese. They'll become tougher to score against, tougher to break down mm. um, as time passes. And I feel like they'll start forcing a few draws. Um, do I think that these guys are potential relegation candidates? No, not at all. I don't think so. I don't think so, no. I, I think they've got far too much quality in their team. This is We always have a conversation about a yeah. team like this. Um, I'm not even sure if it's about the quality as it is the... Just the solidity of the team. You know what I mean? The, the mm. fact that it's quite a, a well-oiled system when it gets going. Like we've seen what uh, Sotil can do with this 3-5-2 formation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once he gets to know his personnel a bit more, he gets them up to par when it comes to fitness. Um, I feel like there'll be a unit. And once Luka, you know, gets gets a bit more comfortable in his role, I feel like he can cause some problems. Well, they definitely need to gel more and we do need to give them some more time um, to gel. It's just concerning seeing the way they started last season versus the way they started this season. It has really shown a significant decline in Udinese. I'm not a massive fan on how the club is run at all. Um, But if if they are one thing, then it's an absolute pain in the ass to, to play against. I think Fiorentina have had a very, very strong start this season. Um, I think two seasons ago, they had a brilliant season. Last season, three finals, but they started off very, very slow. 
And now the season, I think it's time to prove uh, what they can do in the league, in Serie A, how far can they go? Can they get um, Europa League just from overperforming in the league? Could they cement themselves as one of the seven sisters in the league? They're definitely this trajectory heading into that direction. Yeah, there it's between them and Atalanta for that last spot. Uh, yep. And both teams have their ups and downs. Yeah. 100%. Um, but that's enough from me about this game, so we could move on to yours. The next game I've got is Atalanta, the other seven sister. Hmm. To Cagliari nil. Atalanta secured a 2 nil victory over the struggling Cagliari side, making it five successive home victories for the first time since May 2021. For Atalanta, it was a 3-4-3 formation with Juan Musso in goal, Scalvini, Dream City and Kolasinac at the back. Zappa Costa was out on the right, Ruggeri was out on the left, still displacing Bakker at the moment. Mm-hmm. Ederson and Martin Darun were in the middle, with Tune Coop Miners out on the right, Lukman on the left, and Decay Talare up front. At least this is the, the formation that I can see in front of me. Of yeah. course, that front three take it with a pinch of salt. I believe Coop Miners in reality was playing in a pocket behind Lukman and Decay Talare. 100%. I think it's yes. a 3 4 1 2 formation. For Cagliari, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Radunovic at the back, Obert, Dossena and Khatsidiakos at the back. Nandes was out on the right, Adzi was out on the left, Deola, Makumbu and Sulemana were in the middle. Zito Luvumbo was up front with Eldor Shumordov. Yes. The game began with a risky pass from Martin Darun inside the first 30 seconds, setting off an early tone. Adamola Lukman's cross caused chaos in Cagliari's box, and Charles de Ketelar's effort forced a save from former Atalanta goalkeeper Boris Radunovic. Cagliari, despite their lowly position in the standings, had the moments in the first half, had the best moments in the first half uh, for in their performance overall. One of the best opportunities saw Zito Lvumbo, who else, um, sending in an inviting cross that was headed wide by Eldor Shumorodov, a chance that would have given them the lead. Adamola Lukman was a constant threat for Atalanta, striking the crossbar with some brilliant feints after receiving an excellent pass from Tio and Coop Miners. In the same move, Davide Zappacosta hit the outside of the left-hand post. Atalanta eventually broke the deadlock in the 33rd minute when Coop Miners released Decay Talare, who squared it for Lukman to prod home from close range. As the second half began, Cagliari made a positive start, but clear-cut chances were scarce for both teams. Atalanta made substitutions, including Emil Holm and Mario Pasalic, and it was Pasalic, actually, who sealed the victory, steering it off the post from a Luis Muriel precise through ball. Cagliari came close to reducing the deficit when Gaetano Ostriano struck the bar with a close-range shot late in the game, but that was it in the end. Cagliari, bro, um, what's your stance on Cagliari right now? Because this was quite convincing by Atalanta, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a great performance by Atalanta. I think they were simply a bit too good for Cagliari. Look, when it comes to what I think of Cagliari right now, um, they look like a team that... They, they, they look like a good team that just got promoted, is, is how they look right now, which is exactly what they are. Um they are not easy to play against. They're quite unorthodox and they're capable of getting points. What they do have that I'm very pleased by is quite a strong team with Luvumba and Shumorodov up front and then players like Petania 
Um, and Oristiano on the bench. And that's Nathan a strong. Nathan Nandez as well. Really Nathan Nandez out on out on the right. Of course, they have Viola on mm. the bench, and they have Augello that can play as a left wing back that isn't getting as many minutes as I thought he would be. Um, no, I think I think they're a good team. I just think they have their limitations, and mm. I think they'll grow into the season and they'll get a little bit better. I don't think we've seen their final form yet. Yeah, for sure. They have they're they're that type of team that can sit back, absorb, and then hit you on the break, right? They have that Luvumbo guy is a counter attacking weapon. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yes, he's another Luvumbo. one that you bring up every oh every, every episode. episode, man. Shomorodov, Luvumbo, and Nandez can counter attack very well. Yeah, I'm also um, intrigued by Sulemana. I'm not sure if it's positive yet or negative so far. I think it's more towards negative, but the way he plays football. Intrigues me. Okay. He he has a very unorthodox way of of <laughs> of moving. Pos- n- not even moving. It's the way. He, yes, I guess moving. It's the way he he like shimmies with the ball. He stutters every time he gets it. He, it's like he's constantly mini fainting. Mm. Oh, I'm gonna get you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Look out. Very interesting, but but I think overall <laughs> he leaves quite a bit to be desired, <laughs> other than his little movements. Yeah. Uh, but Atalanta solid as ever. Um, they don't let their injuries get to them. Apparently, Skamaka and El Bilal Toure injured up front for them. Zapata gone, and um, they've got a washed up Muriel on the bench who came on and got an assist. The Catalaria flop from Milan last season, who's been revitalized. Lookman, a Premier League flop, who's been carrying them on his shoulders over there. Coop Miners, a guy no one had ever heard of. <laughs> At what least, a, well, unless you're an EZ fan. Um, how how I love Atalanta. They're amazing. You've got people like Mourinho, who if they get an injury-prone player or a flop, he's like, hey, you think he'll be here if he was good? And then it's Atalanta signing players, and Gasprin's like, trust me, they're good. Yeah. Be- believe me, they're good. You'll see how good they are. It's and a, that's the difference. It's a factory. Yeah, exactly. A factory of talent. Um Decade Alari, I'm very positively impressed by in the sense that he's playing as a striker. In this case, he was playing mm-hmm. alongside Adam Ola Lukman. Um, and he just went in and he's fitting their system very well. And it's his nifty footwork and his intelligent movement that is catching mm-hmm. my eye. And also his vision. He, he's quite smart. With, he knows what's going on um, around him. And he's also obviously surrounded by intelligent players that know where to be and and when to be there but the fact that like you said Skamaka injured El Bilal Touré injured Muriel on the bench and they lost Duvan Zapata no worries Lukman de Keitelare you know what I mean we're not phased by this Lukman de Keitelare it's true. It's it's absolutely astonishing to be honest that they keep managing to to do this. For Atalanta, it's five successive home victories. It's an impressive run for them. For Cagliari, they still have not found their first Serie A victory. Will it come? I believe it will, and I believe it will come sooner rather than later. Yeah, I just hope they don't become that team that's just a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they can't get any points because it's always hard to wave goodbye to those. Yeah. Um, the next game we're going to be covering is the penultimate game and it's uh, Lecce 1, Genoa 0. Lecce were coming off a 1-1 draw away to Monza, whereas Genoa were coming off a 2-2 home draw to Napoli. Coming into this game, Lecce had only won one of their last 14 Serie A matches against Genoa, Ooh. now two in 15. 
Lecce had Banda uh, out injured alongside Castriot there. Marco, as Bascarotto was suspended for this match, whilst Genoa still had Messias injured alongside Voliaco or Voliaccio, as I say in every episode. It was a 4 3 3 formation for uh, Lecce with Falcone and goal on the back line of Gallo, Tuba, Pongracic, and Jean Dre. They had Rafia, Ramadani, and Kaba in the middle with Strefezza, Kristovic, and Almgvist up front. Sorry, you could hear me get giggly, but Tuba literally means an idiot in the Maltese. <laughs> it's like, it's the best way to call someone an idiot in Maltese. Fucking Tuba, man. No, Tuba. No, Tuba. <laughs> it was a 4 4 2 formation here for uh, Genoa with Martinez in goal and the back line of the winter, Barney, Dragosin, and Martin. That's Sabelli. Strutman, Badel and Friendrup in the midfield with Retegui and Albert Goodmanson up front. In the 20th minute, Kristovic almost opened the scoring when his header flashed just over the crossbar following a Gallo cross. In the 36th minute, Martin got sent off for his second yellow after tripping Almqvist down the wing. In the 61st minute, Kristovic almost backed himself an overhead kick after setting it up well for himself. But the ball flashed just wide. There is a... He set it up for himself and himself only. Um, Lecce obviously just really trying to get um, a winning goal over here following the red card in the 36th minute by Genoa. Finally, in the 83rd minute, it happened for them. Udon unleashed a powerful strike from distance. They had been shooting from distance for an entire second half. Um, he, he unleashed a powerful strike from distance, which took a deflection off of Rendrup before heading into the near corner. It could have been a contender for goal of the week had it not been for the deflection. Um, let's uh, our third. That, that, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Let's that's our it. third. Full stop. They are one of two teams that are undefeated this season it is them and Inter so massive congratulations to Lecce and Roberto D'Aversa they have secured their third consecutive home win in Serie A and they are currently in third place and let me tell you what it might just be a, a great start but what a start it is and they look like a proper fucking football team. Yes. They look really, really strong, Lecce. They do, and they're building off the foundation of last season. Everyone thought that they had just sold their best pieces and they were ready for the drop. Um, I can't help but feel that we didn't see the best of Genoa, of course, because of Aaron Martin's ridiculously early double yellow. Yeah. We got a yellow in the ninth and then a double yellow in the 36th. Um, I, I do think Genoa could have actually given them um, a tough time this game. And Lecce did actually struggle to crack open this Genoa side, even though they had 10 minutes, took a long-range strike back from Uden um, after quite a lot of poking and, and trying and trying and trying. Um, Genoa, solid team. Um, we didn't really get a good sample of them from this game. But Lecce, as always, man, wow, they just look so street smart and so ready to to do the right thing, man. If there's something that needs to be done, you know, if, okay, there's a red card, we need to attack them, we need to dominate, we need to push, they'll do it. If it's like, okay, they're much better than us, we need to hold back, we need to contain them, get them on the break, they do it to perfection. Roberto D'Aversa right now has put together a team that is fluid, that's adaptable, that's brave, that's talented, 
amazing work by Darissa. Hundred percent, man. And I think um, they, what Lecce did is they started very strong in this in this game, as they did this season. But in this game, and um, they really took the game to Genoa in the opening thirty minutes. Now. They were the best team in the opening 30 minutes and the amount of pressure they were putting on Genoa, one of their players ended up getting a double yellow card in the in the opening 35 minutes of the match. Following that, some might say the game might be a bit more difficult after that because, okay, Genoa are going to go down by one man, sure, but every single one of their men is going to try make sure that Genoa get a point. Yeah. And that Genoa aren't going to concede a single goal. So they defended, defended, defended. And if you do that against a top team, the top team might struggle to score. The fact that Lecce still... It's not that Lecce struggled to find a goal, even though Le- even though Genoa went down to 10 men. But it's the fact that Lecce still managed to find a goal when Genoa were piling yeah. all those men back. And Genoa... They were resilient still, despite being a man down. It's not like they were just defending. They also created some goal-scoring opportunities despite being a man down. Yeah, they managed eight shots, albeit one of them only on target. Um, but they had a lot of counter-attacking um, prowess with Goodmanson, especially, man. Goodmanson is so good. Oh, Goodmanson. Um, and Kristovic, man, um, continues to impress me because he continues to... Force attempts that I didn't think were part of his skill set. So hey. every week he shows me something new, and every week I'm like, damn, he's even better than I thought. <laughs> like the question is, when will this end? You know, when will I be like, okay, that's his limit? Mm. I'm 23 years old, and he's looking good. He is looking good, man. He looks like a, a dangerous man in that box. He does. Genoa made some tactical adjustments at halftime, switching to a three-man defense. Um, uh, so that that was another adjustment that they made to their game. Lecce later on, when they couldn't find a goal, uh, Daversa introduced Dorgu and Udon, and they altered the formation to a 4-2-3-1. Almqvist continued to be a threat throughout that period, and Lecce pressed Genoa deep into their own half for the majority of the game. I mean, I think that describes the game perfectly, and I think we're happy to move on to the next one now. Is this the last one? Yes, it's the last one. Salernitana 1, Frosinone 1. The last one is a banger, quite frankly. A thrilling encounter um, between two teams who are tougher than most people think. Let's just jump straight to the lineups for Salernitana. It was a 3-4-2-1 formation with Guillermo Ochoa in goal, Matteo Lovato, Norbert Gyomber and Lorenzo Pirola at the back. Don't know why I'm saying full names, going to go back to surnames only. <laughs> Matsuki was out on the right, Brotheridge out on the left with Martegania Maggiore in the middle. Castanos and Candreva playing behind Jovan Cabral. For Frosinone, it was their 4-3-3 formation. Fun fact, they have an average age of 24.6 years, which Whoa. I believe is one of the, the youngest starting 11s of this match day. Turati, the ever-impressive Turati, was in goal with Markitza out on the left, Oyono out on the right, and Romagnoli and Okuoli in the middle. Brescianini made his debut with Berencea and Mazzitelli playing alongside him. Caso was out on the left, Sule out on the right, and Walid Kedira. Up front. This was one of those Friday night and I'm feeling all right kind of games, huh? Oh yeah, man. I love these games on a Friday night. At the end of you know, whole week of work, you get home, you put on some, some like bottom tier Serie football. That's that that shit slaps. It's different, right, man? 
Yes, Salernitana were determined to bounce back from two consecutive defeats as they faced off against a formidable Frosinone side who were unbeaten in their last 11 away matches. The passionate home crowd at the Stadio Arecchi eagerly awaited a response from their team as they got it with some scintillating attacking play. <laughs> Salernitana's new acquisition, Agustin Martegani, orchestrated their attacks and their early efforts came close to bearing fruit when Jovan Cabral struck the crossbar from a tight angle. This marked Cabral's third successive match in which he hit the woodwork. The My guy God. tries and tries and tries and gets close and close and close, but finally he got his goal um, later on this game, however. But this yeah. Martegani guy looks very good as well. He looks interesting. He looks well. talented. Very, very nifty with the ball. Mm-hmm. However, it was the Serie B champions Frosinone who stunned the home crowd, scoring against the run of play. Simone Romagnoli rose above everyone else in the box to redirect Ricardo Marquezza's excellent delivery into the net. Marquezza also had a great start. Momentum shifted after the goal with Giuseppe Caso's disallowed goal for offside and the brilliant save by Ochoa denying Kadira's close-range header. If you are one of the Ochoa deniers, one of the Ochoa haters who say that his reflexes have actually plummeted, um, check out this save. Yeah, and then just watch him every now and then, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, he's not that famous in Mexico. That, that's, what the hell? It, it, it was um, Alan's wife told us. Ah, and I heard it again recently. Yeah, apparently he's not very liked in Mexico. I would think he deserves a statue over uh, there. <laughs> I, I wouldn't take the, the, the portion that we've heard it from as an example. But you hear, you hear, you get a good idea, man. Like once I was speaking to a Swiss um, student that we had at work and he he mentioned something about, uh, like football came up in conversation and back then Milan had Ricardo Rodriguez and I mentioned him. Mm. And he was like, ah, Ricardo Rodriguez, he's a piece of shit. I'm like, what, really? And ever ever since then, I always ask people about Ricardo Rodriguez, not many like him. I don't know why. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. (laughs) Maybe it's the same thing with so many World Cups for Mexico and had so many heroic performances. Yeah. I think the Mexicans are crazy about football. It's man. the equivalent of like a Brazilian or Pelé never rated him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Mifsud, who? Who, man? Who? Only two goals against Manchester United. Shout out, Mikey. Tempers flared towards the end of the first half, setting up the stage for a fiery second half. Salernitana, led by manager Paolo Sousa, came out aggressively and found an equaliser as Cabral capitalised on Antonio Candreva's corner to sweep the ball past Stefano Turati in the Frosinone goal. A good goal over there, well-deserved for Giovanni Cabral. You can see how much it meant to him. He went absolutely mental. Despite Salernitana's intent in the closing minutes, they couldn't complete their comeback and will now look to end the streak of... Conceding first when they face bottom place Empoli in their next fixture. Let's hope Empoli don't score before Salernitana or they're definitely doomed. Um, <laughs> Frosinone, on the other hand, will be content with a point, having extended their unbeaten run to four games with their only loss of the season coming against reigning champions, Napoli. Yeah, I thought they were going to get away with a victory over here, man. Um, but, but the thing is, after they score, they just keep playing their football, don't they, Frosinone? They, yeah. they, they like that. They like the quick passing around. They like attacking. They like dragging players upfield. And that did help Salernitana get back into the game. I don't feel like they dropped back. It, it's, it's a weird thing because they'll be dominating the game by playing this, this fluid offensive brand of football. 
and then they're like, if we change anything after we score, it might impact us negatively. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they keep using the same technique to dominate the game. Um, but when Sadar and Etan are a goal down and you give them an inch of space, they smell blood, especially with players like Kandreva, who are so experienced, who have incredible accuracy and, and direct a direct style of play. And they've got Bradaric and Madzoki down the flanks, players like Castanos and Cabral. So it's tough to play that style and maintain a one lead against Salernitana. Yeah, definitely. Um, Salernitana actually had six shots on target over here. <laughs> you look at um, Torati, he had five saves. Um, he had what a game he the, had, man, he had a great game. Other than that, when it comes to the possession stats of the game, um, very even. It felt like there was some underlying resentment from these teams towards towards each other. It felt like a derby. This mm. game, I don't know if it's because they're both kind of relegation candidates or it's because they have a history in the lower leagues, mm. but um, they absolutely seem to despise each other. It's true, it did have a very rough feel about yeah, it, yeah, this yeah, game. Yeah. It, it felt like there Person, wasn't yeah. one single motherfucker on the pitch that didn't give their 100% in this game. It was one of those, man. It was like a Serie B playoff final. But I must say, I, I made a point in the first half, Frosinone looked like the Serie A team and Salernitana yeah. looked like the Serie B team. Um, but things changed, obviously, after Salernitana had their team talk and managed to get a goal. Frosinone managed to acquire a few talented players huh, in the season, like um, Brescianini from Milan, Berenice and Sule from Juve, um, Marquitza from Sassuolo. These, these are the signings you make if you want to survive in Serie A. You need players who know the league, players who know the environment, players who understand the way that certain teams operate. Um, again, we go back to that Venezia side we always talk about too many foreign players. Um, yeah. Then this isn't like a right-wing rant. It's not because they're foreign, <laughs> it's because they don't have the experience needed to survive. Exactly. But I think fro- frozen on a look, man, I, I, I can't help but say that they are the best out of the newly promoted team and with the way they're playing football, I don't see them being relegation candidates. Can they get figured out? They can absolutely get figured out. But if they get figured out in January, they would have accumulated enough points until then. Think of what Empoli have done the past two seasons. Think of what Lecce did last season. Think of what Odinese did last season as well. We could be seeing something similar with with Frosinone. Salernitana did the reverse. They did the reverse thing. They didn't win a single game in the first half of the season (laughs) and they won, they got a few points in the second part. Yes. Exactly. Yes. um, We'll see. It might be, it might be enough. But basically what I'm understanding, bro, if I'm getting the side, correct me if I'm wrong, is... Look at us, we put Lecce and Frosinone in our bottom two, or at least I put them both in mine. One of them are third and the other ones are eighth. Now that's really good. It's only five days in our reaction. Yeah, I know. It's just, you know, we have a podcast and we're going to talk about it. (laughs) Scandalous comment made by Matt. I got a question. Welcome back to our question segment where you can drop your questions on our TikTok, our Twitter or our Instagram and we'll be responding to them. You can even drop them off in the YouTube comment section or in the Spotify comments as well. Wherever, guys, we see everything. We see everything. Steve, our friend, Steve Colero, says, imagine having Gatti and Tech in your Fanta this week. 
Gatti and Tech is Wojtek. Ah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had I had um, Chesney and Martin who got the red card. So a zero on the two point five. Two men got me a two point five, and they're meant to average a six. Steve, you know what's worse than having them on Fanta, <laughs> having them in your team? <laughs> <laughs> Jokes, jokes. They're both good, but they both had a shit show, man. I'm also going to read out a comment sent to us by David about Berardi. He says, boys, can I just say how good is Berardi? Truly, he's a freak, creates space, the right option and the perfect weight of pass. And I do mean every time. Just huge IQ, strong on the ball, acceleration and lethal when he gets a look at goal. Is there a better player in his position in Italy? This lad could play anywhere on earth. I watched Sassuolo versus Juve and he just battered them on his own. I'm not sure it was legal. I was frankly in a massive state of arousal the whole time. Magical. Hope all is well, lads. We just adore your work. What a legend. I love David. <laughs> he has the best messages. If, if your messages aren't anything like David's, um, we're going to like you as much as we like David. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the kind of messages he sends are so entertaining, man. Yeah. And, and, and we just entertain it, obviously. Um, sitting down watching football and we hit him back, you know. Of course. Um, I, I, the same I love sentiment. how how eloquently he phrases everything. It's beautiful. Hey, man. No, I I agree with David wholeheartedly. Um, can he play for any team in the universe or or whatever? Maybe not. Um, but in Italy, he's definitely the best right winger. Um, and actually, there are some other players that can play on the right wing, like Chiesa, so on and so forth. But as a consistent right winger, Berardi's been the best for the past three, four years, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's definitely been top tier for a while in Italy. And we discussed this earlier on. He's, he's super. He could be the star man of a top team in Italy. That's yeah. how good he is. He could be the star man of Juve, could be the star man of Inter, of Milan, and of maybe, everyone. Maybe, okay, granted, he won't do it on the international stage, you know, but Immobile didn't do it on the international stage. And look how useful he was for Lazio. One he's of a legend the all-time leading goal scorers yeah. of the league. Our next question comes from Frank, who asks, who's better, the Versa's Lecce or Pep's Barca? Or Saki's Milan? I think it's an obvious one. Yes. The Versa's Lecce. First, Saki's Milan. Second, Guardiola's Barca. Third. Exactly. There we go. Um, and the last question we're going to read out quickly is, um, do you have to wash your mouth with soap after saying things like Milano is blue and Juve is a beautiful club? Thank you, Lena, our patron. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. We do every single time. Milan is titled we die. But yes, thank you very much, guys, for joining us for yet another episode. I will see you very, very soon.